Hey there, Sam Sanders here, popping in to let you know that this episode was recorded before the terrorist attacks in Paris late Friday night. It was a horrible event and one we're going to talk about here on the podcast in an episode soon. But for now, here's this episode. All right, are we going to make some pod, pod radio? It's the NPR Politics Podcast, here with our first quick take. Sometimes that will mean news of the day, if something really big happens in the world of politics. But sometimes, like today, it'll just be something we want to talk about. And today, that thing is socialism. Okay, we're going to explain that song in a second, but first let's introduce ourselves. Ron Elving. Editor and correspondent. Danielle Kritzleben. Digital political reporter. Oh, and I guess I'd better say who I am. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and also the campaign, especially... Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. And Bernie Sanders is why we're talking about socialism today, because socialism is a big word, a big ism with a lot of historical baggage. But Bernie Sanders is making socialism part of this presidential election in a new way. Here he is in the Democratic debate last month on CNN with Anderson Cooper, which was distributed by Westwood One Radio. Senator Sanders. A Gallup poll says half the country would not put a socialist in the White House. You call yourself a democratic socialist. How can any kind of socialist win a general election in the United States? Well, we're going to win because first we're going to explain what democratic socialism is. And what democratic socialism is about is saying that it is immoral and wrong that the top one-tenth of one percent in this country own almost 90 percent, almost own almost as much wealth as the bottom 90 percent. That it is wrong today. So, Ron, that song that we played earlier was, of course, the opening title to The Americans on FX. That sounds like socialism, no? (laughs) That show, of course, set in the Cold War era about Soviet spies living in the U.S. So how is Bernie Sanders' socialism different from that socialism? The thing that Bernie Sanders is always emphasizing is that he's for the kind of socialism that is linked to a freely elected government with freely elected representatives, not a single party makes all the decisions kind of socialism such as communism. Democratic socialist, big D. That's why he always uses that term. And that's what makes him, in some sense or another, Democrat. He's actually not and hasn't been a member of the Democratic Party, and he doesn't identify as a Democrat in the Senate. And we should say this is about to become a big issue in the campaign because Bernie Sanders has said he's going to make a speech, a big speech, where he kind of explains himself and his socialism, his democratic socialism to the American people. I talked to Kathleen Hall Jamison. She's from the University of Pennsylvania's Annenberg Center about the task that Bernie Sanders has here. The word has taken on very negative connotations because no one has taken the time to define it differently. And Bernie Sanders is taking on an uphill fight, but he's trying to change a definition of a basic word. There are polls that show that people are more likely to vote for an atheist than a socialist. People over a certain age, even if they don't remember the Cold War, they do remember that socialism is something that's supposed to be bad, and that's what they were taught in school. And every time President Obama did just about anything on a policy front, Republicans would shout, socialism! And so if you have just been around for the last eight years, the only time you ever hear socialism is when somebody doesn't like something Democrats are trying to do. Or government in general. Right, although, I mean, I, I, I would add, this varies a huge amount. Pew did a poll on this in 2011, at the end of 2011. And people aged 18 to 29, 49% of them viewed socialism positively. But you go up the age ladder and 
increasingly, uh, there's a direct correlation, essentially. I mean, the older someone is, the far less likely they're willing to believe socialism is positive. Well, and if somebody says socialism, which is kind of like communism, then I suspect that that number would go down even among people under 30. But they don't remember the Cold War. They don't remember when communism was the enemy because there really hasn't been a major communist party uh, or a major communist country that was threatening the United States since the Berlin Wall went down in in 19... (laughs) <laughs> Since, 1989, yeah, It Ron. seems like a long time ago. Yeah. Since the Berlin Wall went down in 1989. Now, of course, China is sort of communist, sort of not. But the old idea of the Soviet Union and all of its missiles being pointed at us and ha- that having something to do with the struggle between socialism, communism, and on the other hand, freedom, liberty, democracy, that idea is really mid-20th century and it's really not something that today's young people think about. So Bernie Sanders is, as we speak, potentially writing this speech. And as I was thinking about this task that he has, I initially thought of Barack Obama's speech on race, for instance. We may not look the same and may not have come from the same place, but we all want to move in the same direction. March of Mm -hmm. 2008. A better future for our children and our grandchildren. Uh, In the wake of Barack Obama's pastor, Jeremiah Wright, having said a lot of things that were pretty inflammatory and and upsetting to people. And... It became a necessity for Barack Obama to balance his loyalty to what was the Black Lives Matter moment of that time, on the one hand, and his loyalty to wanting to be a post-racial president. It was a real divide for him. I can no more disown him than I can disown the black community. I can no more disown him than I can disown my white grandmother. And in that same genre of speech, we have John F. Kennedy. I want to emphasize from the outset that I believe that we have far more critical issues. In, was it 1960, Ron? 1960 campaign. 1960, he went to a convention of Protestant ministers, pretty much fundamentalists, and got up there and said, look, I'm proud of being a Catholic, but it has nothing to do with my day job. So it is apparently necessary for me to state once again not what kind of church I believe in, for that should be important only to me, but what kind of America I believe in. If I'm the president of the United States, I'm not getting any directions from the Vatican, and I would tell my church I'm not taking any direction from you. And he was quite explicit about it. He addressed it. He punched it in the nose. It was a 10 strike for him, and the issue after that seemed to be much diminished. Right. So if you're not a white Protestant guy, I think the long story short has been that you have to get up or you somehow feel compelled politically to get up and speak to, I'm different, but don't worry about it. What's fascinating for me is that Bernie Sanders is not a Protestant guy. He is Jewish. He's Mm -hmm. secularist. He's Mm -hmm. humanist. And yet that's not the thing he feels like he needs to give a speech about. The thing he feels like he needs to give a speech about is the ideology that drives his politics, this democratic socialism. And it's pretty understandable if you, I mean, if you sit down and think about it for even a few seconds, it's like, it's about beliefs. It's not about skin color or where you go to church. I mean, this is something much more fundamental and much, I think, scarier to a lot of Americans than, say, a president who looks different from them. Which may be a po- an overly positive view of how Americans think, but I like to think <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, it turns out we are not actually post-racial, no, but we're not. that's another topic. Or post-gender. But it yeah. is another topic, but it, it is true that what matters most in a president is what he or she would actually do in office. I think most people would agree it's more important than the identity issue, even though we know the identity issues matter a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, we were talking about another speech 
it's a different sort of identity speech. And it wasn't a speech given by somebody who was running for president, but in fact, it was a speech given by somebody who was rising in politics. Well, he wasn't even supposed to be in politics in theory. In 1964, Ronald Reagan was an actor and a TV pitchman for 40 mule team Borax, I'm not making this up, and General Electric, and he traveled around the country doing inspirational things, not unlike Ben Carson's recent career. And he was asked to do some things for the Barry Goldwater campaign in 1964. And his handlers, I'm sure, said, oh, gee, Barry Goldwater's kind of controversial. He's so far right. Mm -hmm. You really don't want to do that. It's not popular to be a conservative. And Ronald Reagan said, conservative is not a dirty word. I'm going to do a speech reclaiming that word for the mainstream American. Somewhere a perversion has taken place. Our natural unalienable rights are now considered to be a dispensation of government. And part of why the speech endures and why, I mean, if you look this, if you look this up, especially on conservative news websites, they, they will say that this speech, no short, uh, like it changed the world. It changed the country. And why it worked in part is he starts off by saying, I used to be a Democrat. I have spent most of my life as a Democrat I recently have seen fit to follow another course. I believe that the issues confronting us cross party lines. He makes it personal. One side in this campaign has been telling us that the issues Here's of this election... Here's why. Mm -hmm. And in a, a sort of tie to what we're talking about today, he said that Barry Goldwater would, quote, Stop the advance of socialism in the United States. I think that's exactly what he will do. Yeah, this is a speech where it's sort of like the mirror image of what Bernie Sanders is trying to do. He's taking a word that has had a meaning for a number of years and changing the meaning. But my guess is how he might try to do it would be with another term that has kind of a mixed history, which is populism. <laughs> populism. Now, there's populism of the right, and some people call Donald Trump a populist, which is bizarre since he's also a billionaire, and usually we associate populism with the great masses of people who are generally speaking poor or middle class. But for some reason or another, Donald Trump has made himself a spokesman for those folks, and it seems to be working, at least with some. Populism can also be of the left. Okay, none of us are... Are you under 30? No. Okay. Although I'm touched that you think so. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Okay. I'm, just, I'm just doing some quick calculations for my birthday. No, actually, I'm not under 30. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so none of us in this room are under 30. But why would it be that young people don't feel negatively about socialism in the same way that people who are somewhat older do. I mean, it's actually like a, if you look at the numbers, it's a sliding scale. And 18 to 30, you're like, oh, okay. And by 65, you're like, whoa, no, never. The word social, people in their teens and 20s, when they hear the word social, the next word they expect to hear is media. Not communism, not Joseph Stalin, you know, they, they don't think of Mao when you say socialism. But I think maybe uh, the economy has failed a lot of young people in the U.S., like people who have graduated from a college or high school since 2007, 2008 onward have had major trouble finding finding jobs after getting this, you know, massively expensive piece of paper, all of that. And graduating also, once you do find a job, into an economy that where your work isn't rewarding you the way that it used to, where, in fact, income has stagnated. I, they don't have this generally sunny outlook on the future that their parents had. The word is just not scary. Sure, yeah. The word is just not scary. And yes, you're right. Well, Lenin might as well be John Lennon. Yeah, well, in fact, if you say <laughs> Lennon and Marx, you know, people are as likely to think of John and Groucho. The word is just not scary. I think that's all the time we have for now. I'm Tamara Keith. I'm Ron Elvin. I'm Danielle Kurtzleben. And we'll see you or hear you next time on the NPR Politics Podcast. Yeah.